B98.5, 80s, 90s, and now all throughout this for the past, I don't know, has it been two years now that we've been dealing with this coronavirus? It's definitely been a fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, we've been fortunate to have Dr. Del Rio um, with us at least twice a week. Dr. Del Rio studies infectious diseases, is our coronavirus mm-hmm. expert, Emory University, smartest man in Georgia. We call him the Dr. Fauci of Georgia. Joining us on the phone this morning, I wanted to start by asking you, uh, Dr. Del Rio, uh, it seems to me, just from observing people, that they're getting a little bit lax with the social distancing. Maybe they're saying that the, the numbers are lower than expected and think that maybe there's less of a threat. Well, you know, I think that it's probably a bad idea because the numbers are down because we're doing the right thing. And if you stop doing the right thing, the numbers will, the numbers will go up. It becomes a, a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We're doing better, so we don't need to do more. And then you stop doing, start doing less, and then numbers will go back up again, and we'll be back where we started. Speaking of the numbers, it looks like uh, Georgia's peak is going to be May 1st, where I think originally it was around, like, April 23rd or 26th. Does that kind of move back our um, uh, uh, state opening back up because now we've, we've hit a peak of, of May 1st? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you probably want to... You probably want to uh, to wait until you peak before you decide to reopen the state up. Because otherwise, you know, right now, again, predictions are models are models, right? So, mm-hmm. so you look at them. But, but the good thing is we're pushing the peak back. And as the peak is being pushed back, if I look at this correctly, the number of there's no bed shortage anymore, and the number of ICU bed shortage, which used to be about 800 ICU beds, is now down to 200 ICU beds. Oh, so, wow. in other words. Planning the curve, what that's doing is actually bringing patients, instead of getting a peak, think about it, instead of going up a really tall mountain, you're going up Stone Mountain, right? It's a little bit of a, of a hump. It's not, it's not a very, so it's, 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 it may take longer to get to, to get to the other side, but on the other hand, it's not going to be as hard. So flattening the curve is letting us to, <clears throat> to be ready, and that's the whole point of flattening the curve, is you're spreading the patients out. And as you're sp- spreading patients out, <clears throat> you are, you're now not needing as many resources and you're able to take care of people. And I think that's a critical component. So I, I don't see that as a problem. I see that actually as something good, right? We want to be sure that we spread patients out enough until uh, they don't come all. Uh, are you calling Stone Mountain a, a hill? Have you ever tried to climb that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's certainly not a, you know, it's not Everest. <laughs> uh, Dr. Del Rio, Oprah is actually going to do a special today on uh, Apple Apple TV, uh, primarily focusing on African Americans and their risks. Are you are you seeing that at all? Are African Americans more at risk than uh, the other people or other minorities or Hispanic people or anything like that? Well, what we're seeing, at least in people that we see in the hospital, is yes, a overrepresentation of African Americans, and this could be for a variety of reasons. I think this could be due to things like overcrowding, you know, African-Americans and, and Latinos also, you know, live more in poverty and they live more in crowded housing. And we know from, from other places that if you live in a house that there's not a lot of space, I mean, you know, being isolated at home, being with, a, with an infection like this and at home, it's really a privilege, right? If you live in a, in a big house and you can isolate yourself, you've got a separate be- bedroom, a separate bathroom, you're fine. But if you live, you know, four or five family members in a small apartment, especially if that that is multi-generational, right? If you have grandparents and children and everybody living in the same household, 
and they're all living together, then transmission is going to occur to the entire household, and therefore you're going to see a lot more cases. So, But we are seeing an increase in, in African Americans, and, and it may very well be also because they have more, you know, there's disparities in underlying diseases. There's more hypertension, there's more diabetes. So we're trying to understand what's going on, but I think there's a variety of different things that is driving that. But yes, we're definitely seeing it. My family in Vermont is in a multi-generational house. And what we did was I got on the phone and I said, all right, who's most freaked out about catching coronavirus (laughs) among the young people? And the person that raised their hand, I said, all right, you're the designated person to go out because when you come home, you're going to make sure you wash your hands and you're a little bit more careful because 74-year-old mom living in the house, she's the person that we really want to protect on that. And that's that's what you want to do. You want to protect your elderly because really... The population you want to pretend to protect and, and prevent from from getting sick are precisely those people over the age of 65, and that's where the risk is. Dr. Del Rio, I saw that the FDA approved a saliva-based test. Um, is there ever going to come a time where everybody is going to be able to get, get tested? Like, you know, maybe see if you're among the majority of people who showed zero symptoms or less symptoms, but you're just kind of curious, have I already had this? Am I out of the woods? Yes, I think, you know, as more testing and more types of testing become available, I mean, we're not quite there yet, but I can envision in the near future, you know, having a test that you can do almost at home, right? Very not dissimilar to a to a um, pregnancy test, for example, and something you can just do at home and that will allow you to, uh, to, uh, to know whether you're infected or not. Do you think those tests will come first, or do you think the kind of like a, a, a vaccination for it will come first? I don't know. Vaccines are going to take some time. I think we're getting more tests. I mean, there's tests now that, you know, they're being developed to to, to be able to tell you if you have the, if you've been exposed to the virus or if you have evidence of the virus in your, in your blood. So a lot of different testing methodologies are coming out. And I think what we need, we definitely need is, is to have more testing available and accessible to everybody because it's going to be critical that testing becomes, you know, rapidly available and, and, and accessible. And then that we act on the testing. If somebody's found to be infected, we immediately isolate them. We immediately put them in, in, in you know, do, do a contact tracing to make sure there's no others infected out there. Dr. Del Rio, I read an article over the weekend that said the CDC believes that we could be possibly carrying the virus around on the soles of our shoes, especially like the medical professionals. Do you think there's any truth to that? And if so, what do you suggest that we do? Well, you know, I think we shouldn't be licking our shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I have a five-year-old. I worry about him, like, crawling around. I mean, he's not really crawling right now. But if you had a younger kid crawling around on the floor, you walk in with your shoes from the outside? Or is that just ridiculous? I think it's pretty unlikely. I, I think, you know, at some point in time, we can be to a level of paranoia that I think I don't think is good. I haven't seen that article from CDC saying that you can carry you know, virus in your shoes. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, what you want to do is, is, is use common sense. And I think, you know, hand washing, hygiene, you know, continue to be important. I worry about getting too paranoid and, you know, thinking that we need to basically burn all our clothes on a daily basis. <laughs> There's got to be a limit. Uh, there was a woman in North Carolina along those lines who said that she got coronavirus despite the fact that she hadn't left her house. Then she finds out she got groceries delivered by a person who has tested positive. And she's like, I had no idea. I think it's important to reiterate that it does live on surfaces. So you do need, if you get groceries, how should you treat your groceries? 
Well, again, I think I think about hygiene. I think about common sense. If you're getting something delivered, you know, take it inside, unpack your groceries, put them in the refrigerator, in the pantry, and then wash your hands. You know, take whatever containers, bags they was on, throw them away, wash your hands. I mean, almost every step of the way as you're doing things, wash your hands. And very importantly, as you're doing that, do not touch your face because that's the problem is when you touch something, you contaminate yourself and then you touch your face. And when I say your face, it's really about touching your mouth, your nose, your eyes. And this time of the year is hard. You know, with all the pollen out there, we're frequently just scratching our nose and scratching our eyes. So wait, I'm supposed to go to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru like we've been doing two or three times a week and <sighs> not eat my food in the car, wait till I get home to wash my hands? Or, oh. or or have or have a hand sanitizer okay. with you. Right? Okay, I got to eat that in the car. I, ha- I just have yeah, to. Yeah, you hold on to the. You, it comes in a bag, so you hold <laughs> yeah, right. the outside hold of the, the bag, bag yeah. and you just sort of shimmy it out there, like normal. <laughs> you know, Doctor Jario. Yesterday, I was watching a press conference with your buddy, uh, Doctor Tony Fauci, and a member of the media asked him uh, about his comments and asked him if his comments were made voluntary. Um, and it, it seemed like he got a little insulted. I was almost a little insulted for him. Uh, do you do you get that sense at all? Like maybe they're, are they trying to make him a villain or pit him against the president? I mean, what is that dynamic like? I, I, you know, I really don't know. I think I think sometimes what we got to do is is just see the facts. And I think you yeah. know he's a straight talker. He's going to say what it is, and he's going to not hold back his 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 thoughts. If I know something about Dr. Fauci, is that he he really doesn't care about politics. I don't even know what his political affiliation is. You know, if he says, my politics is health, I mean, he wants to be sure he, he's protecting the health of Americans and he doesn't care if that happens to be under a Democratic president, under a Republican president, under anybody. I mean, he is, he's really somebody who, who his number one priority is health. And as such, you know, he's going to be a straight talker. He's going to say what it is. He is, he's somebody who, who, who has no problem um, I did want to ask you about a rumor that I heard from my friend Mark. This guy is like uh, lives in a cabin in the woods in Vermont, so I don't know what his source <laughs> is. But he says that coronavirus. He said, "I don't want to get it because it causes permanent lung damage." Is that true or false? Well, we know that in people that have underlying lung disease, and uh, you know who already have lung damage by something else, you know, smoking or something else, you know, uh, <clears throat> asthma. Uh, cystic fibrosis, if you get coronavirus and you get pneumonia with the coronavirus, the scarring in your lungs may actually give give you more injury to what you already have. So, yes, I mean, in that circumstance, that could certainly happen. You know, if you get pneumonia from coronavirus, it's a pretty severe pneumonia. And recovering from that pneumonia is not straightforward. So, so it's not surprising that something like that may happen. So if you think you're starting to get symptoms, how do you avoid getting pneumonia? Or is there no avoiding it? No, it's really no avoiding it. I mean, that's the challenge, right? You the first thing you do is you, you don't get coronavirus. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it. Right, this right, right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Del Rio, as always. What a great worth of information you are. Okay, guys. Have a good day.